are in the Christmas season. After Thanksgiving, we enter into the Christmas season whereby we are acknowledging the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming into the earth. And what a gift, what a gift, how the world changed as a result of the gift that was given to us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be ministering on a subject I'm using as a subject, the present of presence, the present of presence. Another way of putting it, to paraphrase it, the gift of presence, the gift of presence, because we understand that God, his uh, being present through his son uh, is the gift to all of us, his presence, but then we understand the Lord's presence is of such that things cannot remain the same. I was thinking about sunlight and understand what would the world be without sun, without the sun. We talk about the S-U-N, how the sun shines and understand how much of life depends upon the S-U-N. If you remove the sun, there would be no growth. Understand without the sun, look at what would happen. How would your body survive? The sun, we are dependent upon sunlight, S-U-N. But I would venture to say that it's not just our dependence upon sunlight, but the S-O-N has come. The sunlight has come. The light of the sun has come into this earth. And as a result of the light that is shown upon us, uh, it transformed the world. This world as it was, as it once was, is no longer that way because the S-O-N has come and he's come to give life to all of us. The scripture that I want to begin with is here in St. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, I believe this would be appropriate as we began to look at the beginnings. And I believe that what John was doing in St. John 1.1, 1, 1, he was giving a different view of what was recorded in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Because we understand in, it's in the beginning God created. In the beginning God did. In the beginning God. In the beginning. But then here John speaks of the beginning again. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He says, and when we talk about the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning as if something existed beforehand. But he is saying, I would venture to say, to make it clear to all of us, before there was a beginning, or before there was time, before time began, there was God, and there was the Word of God. The Word preceded time. He says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. I like the way the writer put it. It didn't say that the light was shown in the darkness, but he speaks of it as being present tense. 
He said, the light still shines in darkness, and darkness did not historically comprehend it. Light, uh, the darkness did not comprehend the light. Now, I want you to, uh, we're going to, it talks about John the Baptist, and it talked about his ministry uh, in, in the sixth verse through the ninth verse, but in verse 10 he says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And he says, and the word became flesh. The word became that which the word had never been before. There was a time in there was something that took place in history where the Word became flesh. But not only did the Word become flesh, that same Word dwelt among us. And then we're getting to where I want to really focus our attention upon, and it says, and we beheld His glory. We, it did not give, it wasn't a blanket statement, but it was very specific in relation to the witnesses those who received the word, he says, we beheld his glory. Those that were witness of the truth, they beheld his glory, and it was the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and it was full of grace and truth. Now, I'm going to end my reading here, but I'll be referencing uh, St. John. Uh, throughout this message or throughout this series because there's a whole lot to be said in relation to what has been given to us as a gift and how that gift is to be received. The thing that I will be emphasizing most of all is the fact that when Jesus came into the world, we, the presence of God, was manifest before us. God, his manifest presence was before us or among us. If, here's another way of putting it. God showed up. God showed up. No longer would you have to figure out who he was, what he was about, what he looked like, what was he capable of doing, but he was his manifest presence came into the world through the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God showed up in a man. God showed up in a man. God showed up in a person. We saw the personification of God in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, look at the conditions that I would say that would warrant this, because one of the things that I emphasize is that light shines brightest with a backdrop of darkness. You can really see the brilliance of that which 
is light when there is a contrast to that light. So if you ever go to the store, if you've ever, men, you know when you buy your wives the diamonds and or women when you go buy diamonds, the person that, uh, or the salesperson oftentimes would take a black cloth and he would have, uh, he would place the diamond on a black cloth and then he would put a light and allow that light to shine upon the diamond. And you would wonder why would you, why would you use a black cloth and light at the same time, that which is bright and that which is dark, darkest and the brightest. He said because when the light shines through the prism of the diamond, you're able to see all the facets that are contained there. You can't see the brilliance of that diamond unless there is a contrast. He says, so what God, what was happening when you see it, he says, I want you to see that this is not just a diamond or a cheap diamond. I want you to see the value contained within it. And how can you see the value contained within it? There has to be the backdrop of darkness and there has to be the brilliance of light. But what will that light shine through? It will shine through a prism so that the facets contained within the prism divides the light so that now you can begin, you can now see the colors of the rainbow. When you saw that light beforehand, it was merely white light. But when it passed through the prism of the diamond, the diamond divided the light so that you will see contained within that which appeared to be merely white, contained various colors. Now, mind you, this is what God did and what God is doing and what God continues to do. He says, who is God and what is God all about? We see him as a powerful being. We see him as the God of wrath. We see him as a God of vengeance. We see him as a God of righteousness. We see him as a God of holiness. In fact, he said of himself, be holy, even as I am holy. We read the Old Testament and we see the law of God and we see where God has given us laws and rules to live our lives by. And when we see that, we also look at ourselves and we look at the impossibility of our lives ever measuring up to God's standard. But God says, I'm going to bring to you a diamond. I will present to you a diamond, and this diamond doesn't have any flaws. I'm going to present to you a perfect diamond where there, there's no sin in him. There's no unrighteousness contained within him. In fact, there's nothing in him that the devil can use. But what I must do, here's what he says. In the beginning was the word. I'm going to take that which preexisted, which is the word of God, and I'm going to allow 
that word to actually shine forth through a human being, through a man. And when that word is shining through a man, you will be brought to the place of seeing and experiencing the manifested or the many faceted graces of grace of God. It is the grace of God, but there are many applications to God's grace that you would never ever possibly realize unless it flowed through that which was perfect, that which was flawless, so that in that it gave us hope that if a man can live a perfect life, if a man can be so righteous and so holy that he can live a perfect life, his life produces hope within me. Wow. The people walked in darkness. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, the people walked in darkness, as it is today. People who are walking in darkness. It's getting darker, y'all. It's getting darker. Don't think that things are getting better. No, they're getting darker. We like them to be better. We like to be in an environment where we walk up to somebody and everybody loves us, everybody appreciate us, and everybody is so glad to see us. But to be truthful, that's not the case. We live in a hostile world. We live among people that are hateful, people that are very vengeful, people oftentimes that are unconscionable, have no conscience whatsoever. This is the kind of world we live in. Let's be honest with ourselves. People will always, some people think that people are getting better, that we're evolving into becoming better, but no, we're degenerating into becoming worse. He says, but in that day, the people walked, they walked in darkness, they walked in darkness. That's in Isaiah chapter 9. But then we begin to look at what is taking place or what took place at the time of Jesus Christ. It also talks about the darkness that was there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says that the earth was full of darkness. So in all cases, we see darkness all around us. Before, when creation was taking place, God separated the darkness, the light from the darkness. But in this, we begin to see that this darkness is such that People had grown accustomed to the darkness. That's what we see in John. They had grown accustomed to the darkness. And he says, and they preferred darkness rather than light. It was their choice. If they had to choose between the two, they chose darkness rather than light. Now, you would wonder, what would bring a person to the place of making that kind of decision? Think about it this way. If you had never seen light before, 
or if there was a time where you might have even seen light, but then for 10, 15, 20 years, you were placed in a dark room, a place where no light existed. And then all of a sudden, somebody will introduce you to that which you had not seen for over 20 years or never, ever seen before. What would that light do to you? What would that light do to you? It will, it, it will be startling. It will cause your eyes, your pupils cannot adapt to it. Your pupils cannot adjust to it. It will be overwhelming. You say, well, the light has come. I, I would like to have light, but understand the light is more than I can handle. Because what happens if you had grown accustomed to darkness, then that darkness had become your, your, your place, your habitation. That's the place, that's your environment. And that was really how it was in the days of Jesus Christ. You see, the people had walked in darkness, and their life had been of such that they had grown accustomed to the darkness, and the problem was when the light came, I like the way the scripture put it, they could not comprehend it. They could not understand it. They could not rationalize that which was being introduced to them. Are you punishing me by turning the light on too suddenly? Is this a punishment? Is this something whereby you're trying to do me harm? You're trying to do me damage? First of all, by me being in a dark environment, then all of a sudden, you turn on the light. It would appear as if that's a punishment. It appears as if, but, but that's exactly what happens to a person that's in sin. When the light comes, you say, I'd much rather for that light to be gradual. I'd much rather for, for, for God to, to slowly bring me into a, a particular situation. But the Lord says, what I will do, I will turn on the light. I will turn on the light. But what I will also do, I will give you my spirit so that you won't have to adjust to the light. But understand, the spirit within you will be open and welcome to receive the light that is shining, shining in your direction. Because without the spirit, you will, not, you will be turned off. So we wonder, why is it so many... Why is it so hard for people to be receptive to the truth? Why is it so difficult for people to, uh, to, to embrace the Word of God? Because it was just like it was in that day. They had grown accustomed to the darkness, and they rejected the light. I, I began to think about it this way. Here I am. I'm 73. I'll be 74 years old in a few, in, in very few months. And I want so much to, to reach this generation. We're talking about the, what, what is the generation called? This is the uh, millennial, the millennials, one generation, but then they have some more generations after that. But, but, but whatever, this, whatever this generation is, I'm before that. You see, I was born before this generation came. 
And, and uh, I would love to reach, and I believe God will give us wisdom on how to reach this generation. But understand what I've come to understand, even in Scripture, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, that the Word didn't have, have to change in order to reach this generation. He didn't have to adjust his word in order to reach this generation. The message doesn't have to change. We may change our methodologies, but the message itself doesn't have to change. But, but, but here's what happens. In many instances, people are so desperate to reach people groups that they find themselves adapting to the culture rather than being one to transform the culture, that the culture may be transformed by the Word of God. We mentioned sunlight. A flower blooms. It, it, first of all, it grows as a result of sunlight. We're talking about S-U-N, but we also in the sunlight. You see, your lives grow as a result of sunlight, S-O-N, but then it blossoms as a result of S-O-N, sunlight, and then it bears fruit as a result of sunlight, S-O-N, sunlight. But if our objective is to so identify with the culture, then what happens, we become more culturally adaptive than kingdom adaptive. What I mean by that, here I am, he said, 70, almost 74 years old. What would I look like? I, I saw this, and this is why I'm bringing it up. I saw this. I said, now I'm going to reach the children. How can I do it? How can I do it? We, we have dress down day on the fifth Sunday. Dress down day. So now I'm going to dress down, but here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to just dress down what I call dress down. I'm going to dress down based on what you call dress down. Are <laughs> oh, you understand what I'm saying? What do you call dress down? So when I come in here, I'm going to come in with some jeans, with my knees showing. I'm going to come in with a hat, cap, you see, backwards. And I'm going to have my jacket on, and I'm going to wear whatever kind of shirt I have, you know, and I'm going to come in what it is. I'm gonna come, you see, I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in this way. And when I do it, they're going to say, man, I passed this cool. I passed this on it. But you know what I'm saying here? The thing that I would be afraid of in doing that is how much of sunlight would I have to sacrifice in order to be adaptive? What am I sacrificing? I'm trying to get along. I'm trying to get along with you. I'm trying, for you. I'm trying to bring it in such a way you can relate to me. But yet, I step out of being myself in order to be more and more like I see you being. And it's hard for me to pull you out of your situation because I'm too busy trying to be you. I hope you're getting this message. This is what has happened in many situations within Christendom where people have reduced their standard in 
with the idea in mind of relating to the generation. And eventually, all of the vices that may be contained within the generation are also adapted. You don't just pick up, you don't just wear the outfit, you don't just wear the uniform. But you begin to adapt to the practices. And you say, now, what has happened to your life? If I'm wearing a police outfit, a police uniform, and I got the badge, you see, I'll, I, I suppose I act like a police. In fact, I begin to, my character is of such, like the police officer. So when I dress down, my wife would tell you, I dress down, I put on a leisure suit. <laughs> you see, that I put on a, a you see, I put on a, another kind of shirt or whatever. I'm dressing down, y'all. They said, well, you still dress. No, I'm dressing down based upon who I am and where I am. It's all right to do that. But still, you have to be yourself. Son, Wednesday's night, you have to be yourself in the process of doing that. Now, now, now what am I? I'm, I'm headed somewhere in all of this, but I want to lay groundwork before we get to it. We begin to see the light shining. And uh, it says that it's shown in darkness. You walk, the world walked in darkness, but they've seen the great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. The light has shined. What began to shine? Let me tell you what was shining. Let me tell you what was shining. And this is where we headed. Presence. We bring the presence of the Lord into the environments that we walk in. That's our objective. Our desire is not to become what individuals are, to, to bring within that environment who God has made us to become. That's the objective. That's the objective. If you don't get anything out of this message, I want you to hear this. Our objective is to bring into whatever environment we may, we may walk into, we want to bring into that environment the presence of the Lord, that which we have become, and not what they had become, or what may still reside within them. Light came in an environment of darkness, but those who walked in darkness had grown accustomed to darkness, so therefore their behavior always expressed the darkness that they had adapted to. So I want you to understand, so all the things that they're doing. See, God is about, there are some things about our lives that God desired to change. But then there are some things within our lives that may be immoral. They're not so necessary, it's not so necessary that those particular things change, but understand, but when the light comes, you see, it is glorified. Let me put it this way. I don't have to stop being who I am. I, I don't have to stop being black to bring the presence of the Lord. You don't have to stop being white. You don't have to stop being whatever culture you're part of. You don't have to stop being that to bring the presence of the Lord. But, but understand, but it has to be glorified. It has to be glorified. So what happens, it, it, it is the full expression of who God intends for you to be, not the person that you are in your present state of being, 
But understand, you're in the process of becoming all that God had in mind for you to be. So now, presence is what we're concerned about. So, so, so in this, Jesus came into the world. His presence dwelt among us. His presence dwelt among us. He came close enough to us that we could grasp hold of him. That we could grasp hold of him. That's what the Bible says in 1 John. Those things that we've seen, heard, our hands have handled of the word of life. He says, I will let you touch me. I will let you handle me. I will allow you to participate in my life. That's Jesus now. He said, it had to be abstract any longer. You don't have to see me from afar. You don't have to see me from a distance. He said, but I'm going to let you touch me. Presence, presence, presence. I like what happened this morning. Where as we were worshiping, God showed up. You see, his presence. I'm not saying he's not here, but, but, but when his presence is here, he manifests himself. He makes it known that I'm in your midst. So he came to us that we may grasp hold of him. Here's what he did when he came in the birth of Christ. He availed himself to humankind. He says, I make myself available to all. I don't force you. I'm not going to make you take it. I'm not going to press you into this thing so that you're, you have no choice in the matter. He said, he said, but I offer you a choice. You can, you can receive me or you can reject me. It's that simple. That, now, that's important to understand this because people, they said he came to his own, his own rejected him. His own rejected him. That, that's something that, about the experience of Christ that we must learn from. He said not all will accept, not all will embrace what is being offered. In Jesus' case, he became the example, a model of that. He said he came to his own kind. He came to his own people. He came to those that were most familiar with him. Are you hearing me? He came to those who were most familiar with him. They saw him growing up. They saw him when he was a child. They saw him in those days. He said, but they saw so much of that that they could not see what was inside of him. You see, in other words, they judged him based upon their perception of what they thought they were seeing. Sometimes, you see, familiarity oftentimes breeds contempt. People think they know you, but they really don't know you. Even his disciples didn't really know him. They didn't know him. He was among them. They saw the miracles. That's not enough to know him. They saw him doing these things, uh, uh, great miracles, signs and wonders. They still didn't know him. So Jesus decided one day, he said, he took three of them, Peter, James, and John. He said, come here, fellas. He said, I'm selecting you from among the rest of the disciples, and I'm going to take you somewhere. He said, now, understand where I'm taking you. This is, this is exclusive. Only the three of you. Where are we going? We're going to a mount. And this mount was called the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration. 
when they got to that mount of transfiguration, we began to see Jesus showing up, but we also saw uh, uh, Moses and Elijah. And you said, well, we see the law and the prophet also there. But Jesus was there, and, and when he showed up, Jesus said, now, fellas, you, you, not only will you see me, but you're going to see those who are attached to me. Look at the law. Look at the prophet. Now, they're dead physically, but now you're going to see them, and when you see them, you'll understand what they represent and what they're all about. So Jesus said, so now, now you see them, but now I'm going to show you my glory. Now you're going to see. So his raiment was shining. He stood there, and they saw him in a way that they had never seen him before. But they saw him within the company of the law, and they saw him in the company of the prophet, and they said, so, so now we see not only Jesus, but we see the law differently, and we see the prophets differently. We see the prophet Elijah differently. But Jesus, but then the voice spoke up. The in beginning what? Was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So the word spoke. God himself spoke. And he said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. So in other words, the law spoke of him. The prophet spoke of him. They were gone. The only one was standing was Jesus Christ. But before that, look at Peter with himself, getting ahead of, getting ahead of the story. He, he, said, he said, what I, I, we ought to do is build three tabernacles. Let's build a tabernacle for, 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 for Moses. Let's build a tabernacle uh, for, for Elijah and Jesus. We'll build one for you too. But God said, no, you missed it. He said, the law and the prophets all represent me. So the presence of the law, the personification of the law, the personification of the prophets is contained within the personhood of Jesus Christ. Are you getting this? So now, as we begin to see the uh, choice, you, you see, he, he's the gift that was given. His presence in a dark world. Now, nature we have to understand the nature of fallen man. The nature of fallen man. Man in and of himself has the tendencies of moving towards his or her familiar. I call it the gravitational pull of sin. It will always pull you back to your default setting. Your default setting is your fallen nature. The fact that you were born in sin and you were fashioned in iniquity. So let me tell you something. A man, if you were not hearing what you're hearing now, if you were not being instructed in what you are being instructed in now, you will always gravitate towards your default setting. So you got to hear something to pull you away from it. You see, that word is spirit of life. You have to hear something that will, that, that will draw you away from I would say just succumbing to the person that you once were. So the so so this I call it that gravitational pull of sin. It it it, it is it, it is repulsed by the unfamiliar. So when something comes other than that, it becomes repulsive. You said so. So in other words, we're saying that there are people in mass now who are running 
away from God and don't even know it. Do you hear me now? They're running away. There are different ways of running. But they're running away from God and doesn't even know what they're running from. And, and, and not only are they running from God, they're hiding behind stuff. As it was with, with, with Adam and Eve. What happened when Adam, Adam was in the presence of God, mind you. He walked with God in the cool of the day. He would communicate with God. They say, so man fell from intellect to, to, to insanity. Don't think of the other way around. Don't think man, you see, he, he was most intelligent when he was walking with God. Because now God could talk to man uh, straight, straight up. He could talk to man, and man could understand God's language. The God who knows all things. You have to understand this. This is it's hard to understand. The God who knows all things. The God who understands all things. He is so, they say, there's no intelligence beyond his intelligence. But he would talk to his own creation and have conversation with man. And man would understand his language. That was Adam. That was Adam. So, so here Adam was looking forward to talking to God. Looking forward to those times that he could walk with God and God could speak to him. And not only that, nothing had names, nothing had names, nothing was identifiable. But but God would create a certain thing and then he would tell Adam to name it. So understand the naming of creation, the naming of animals, it was not just giving a name like we give our children sometimes. What do you want to name her? What do you want to name her? I, I better not play with that because somebody might <laughs> have one of those names. <laughs> But they just come up with something. They just come up with something. They said, well, well, I had some perfume, and I liked it too. And it was called, it, it, it was a nice fragrance. So I'll just name the child after perfume. I, I had a car, and, and I liked the car. So I named the child after the car. <laughs> you, you see, that, that's all kind of thing. Well, well I was just, you see, but, but here names were important because names actually described uh, the, the, the characteristics. It, the, the, I would say the scientifically uh, described what a particular thing was. An animal was identified based upon its name. People were identified by their names. So here God is talking to Adam. He creates and he tells Adam, what is this? Adam said, it's a cow. What kind of cow? Well, this is a different cow from that cow, Hereford cow here. This is a Herf Hereford cow. Well, what is this? This is a bird. What kind of bird is it? Adam could describe the nature and the characteristics and even prophetically speak of the future of those things that God would place before him. How could he, I'll tell you, I, I, can, I, I can actually uh, uh, verify that because he did it with his wife, didn't he? She didn't have a, 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 a mother and a father as we do and children. He said, but a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife. What man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife? He was looking prophetically into the future. To show you how intelligent Adam was, he looked into the future as to what was yet to happen because he understood that he understood the process of reproduction even before it occurred. And not only that, he shall cling to his wife and a man and woman shall become one the two shall become one flesh. So now, that was the intellect of Adam 
and Eve in the garden. That was the intellect. So now, understand what he has done. He has, he has named all of God's creation. That was his level of intelligence. But then we begin to see man falling from that place that he once was. And what is he doing? He's hiding. He's hiding from God. And he's hiding from his own future. He's hiding from his own intellect. He's hiding from that which God could reveal to him for that which he thinks he already knows. He said, well, where do you think the little knowledge you have came from? <laughs> the little bit you know, where do you think it came from? And, and well, I trust science. Where do you think science came from? That those are, that's the discovery of what God has made to the degree, but it's yet being, things are yet being discovered within the discovery. <laughs> and then when something new is discovered, then there has to be an adjustment or an adaptation to that which has proven itself to be truer than what you consider to be the truth. So we see that the knowledge is ever-evolving, but yet man will plateau at any level and think that he has arrived. He said, well, I got it now because I understand DNA. Where do you think DNA came from? <laughs> you, you, you see, that just, I want you to understand this. So, so now we begin to see uh, uh, where man is. So, so that's where he's not. So he's hiding from God. He's hiding from his own future. He's hiding from his own intellect. So therefore, he's running from his future knowledge because he has settled for the level of intellect or knowledge he had attained before he had separated himself from God. So in other words, he stopped the process of development. You see, he, 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 he began to, he, he just, he squashed the process of development. God says, I would have made you more intelligent if you had continued to commune with me. So, so that's what happened to man. Man who thought he knew everything, then he's running. He says, so now, Adam, he asked him, he says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Well, Lord, I, I, I heard your voice. I heard the word. And uh, I hid myself. I heard the word. Look at the light now. I heard the word. And I hid. Where did you hide? I hid in the nightclub. I hid, I hid in uh, uh, the strip club. Where did you hide? I hid, I, I hid at the basketball game. I hid at the football field. You see, I hid, I hid away from you because you see, I had to, I had to fill my life with some kind of activity. So therefore, now I hid on the golf course. You said, is that how to play? Yeah, it is. Any place you find to occupy the time and space that ought to be, it ought to be designated towards God, or ought to be devoted towards Him, you're really hiding from that which could bring you into becoming all that God would have you become. He hid, here's another thing. He hid himself in religious activities. He said, well, at least I went to church. But I went to church because I didn't want to hear something that would convict me. So you're hiding in a religious service. 
and nobody could identify you for your because if you ever came into the presence of the Lord, the light of the glory of God will shine upon you and expose those things that are within you and me that God is desiring to deal with. So people hide. They hide. They don't want to hear anything that's convicted. They want to hear anything that will show, cause them to have to reckon with the things that they are, in fact, dealing with at any given time. But let me tell you something, and I'm getting ahead because I'm closing. But the absence of presence, when presence is absent, then death is inevitable. When God withdraws his presence, then death is inevitable. But where the presence of God is, there is light whereby you can see what you weren't capable of seeing beforehand, and then there is life. That's what the presence of the Lord is all about. The Lord says, and, and I'll be talking about this as we go on, the Lord's objective is to manifest himself among us. We've been praying this. He said, Lord, show up, because we have some people here that need healing. The Lord said, yeah, they need healing. He said, but I want to give you more than that. He said, people here that need deliverance. Lord said, yeah, they need deliverance, but I want to give you more than that. There are some people that need salvation. He said, now we're getting there. The people need salvation, but I'm going to give you not only salvation, but all the things that accompany salvation, but they only come as a result of me, receive within me all the things that pertain to life and godliness. When you receive me, you got the whole package. That's what the Lord is saying to us today. He said, when you receive Christ, but yet again, that light must be divided. Aspects of Christ must be rightly interpreted to you. Understand, that's why he gave fivefold ministry. Some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, he said, I've given you ministry gifts so that now that word can be rightly divided. The truth of God can be rightly divided, rightly interpreted. So now, here's what the Lord does. You read the word yourself, so why do you have to come to church? You read the word yourself, so why do you need to stay? You study the Bible yourself. Why do you need someone to explain anything to you? You know why? You know why? Because God gave gifts so that you will understand how that word is to be directly applied to you. You see, this is the grace of God. When you come into the sanctuary of God, when you come into the place of worship, when you came into this house to worship the Lord, God says, he says, I saw you before you walked in the door. I saw you before you entered in. I saw you, I saw you while you were sleeping last night. And I was preparing a message for you while you were sleeping. In fact, I was preparing a message while, while you were out there trying to figure out how your problems are to be solved and which directions you to go in. God says, I saw all of that. I saw all of that. I saw you when you were upset. I saw you when you were angry. I saw when you were angry with me. I saw you when you were about to throw in the towel, give up, and go in a different direction. I saw all of that because I'm God, and I see all things, and I know all things. 
he said, and what, I'm, what I've been doing, he said, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to, when the minister ministers, he's going to preach beyond his intellect, beyond what he knows and beyond what he sees. But he's to speak what I see and what I show him. And when I show it to him, I'm going to show him that which is I see that's going on with you. He says, so God begins to tailor a message. Because I got a lot of stuff I want to preach, but God said, the, 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 I would say the composition of this congregation right now is drawing this particular message because this is a message that apply to those of you that are assembled in this place right here and now. If we, if we were to change the composition, that would be a different message. But God says, I know exactly where you are and exactly where you stand and exactly what's going on in your life. He says, so now the word which is perfect, the word which is pure, the word which is true, when it comes forth, it will reach you where you live. He says, I'm talking. In other words, the Lord is saying, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Don't look around, don't look at the neighbor, don't look uh, uh, left or to the right. It's me. Lord, you're talking to me. And you say, Lord, why would you look, this is what the psalmist said, why would you look so intensely upon me? Why wouldn't you let me get away? There are so many people that had not heard the word. They ran away. He said, but what I've done, look at God's love. I didn't let you get away. I didn't let you get away because you're mine. I didn't let you get away. I ain't gonna let you get away with that stuff. See, you tried to get away. You tried to run. You tried to hide just like, like Adam was hiding. You tried to hide too. You guys up here too. I'm talking to y'all. Y'all too. He, he said, he said, you tried to hide too. You tried to run away. Lord says, I'm, I won't let you run away. I'm not gonna allow you to run away. He said, because the searchlight of God's spirit you, you sort of, the, the, how, the, the writer calls it the hounds of heaven. He said, I released the hounds of heaven to, 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 to seek you out. And, and he says, and I picked up your scent. And I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. But I'm pursuing you because that's how much I love you. That's how much. I love you. That's God. That's God. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Others can run and hide. They prefer darkness rather than light. But I'm going to cause that light to follow you everywhere you go. <laughs> everywhere you go, the light is there. Something reminding you that this is not where you're supposed to be, or this is where you're supposed to be. You're running, but the light shows up. The light, the caution light. You know you're wrong. You know you're in the wrong place. You know you have no business here. 
But I used to do it. You can't do it now. It's too much. See, Jesus Christ has come. And you said, I receive him. And you forgot about it. But he didn't forget. See, you, you pushed him aside. You thought that if I divorced myself from him, that he would divorce himself from me. Lord said, no, no. It ain't going like that. It ain't going down like that. He says, he said, he says, wherever you go, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be on your trail. I'm going to pursue you with a passion. He says, so, so, so what happens? We might as well give up. Stop running and give in. Might as well. You might as well give up. Stop running and give in. And you know what happens? And then you're postured to receive a greater measure of his presence. And when God shows up, he opens the doors for us that no man can open. And he shuts the doors for us that no man can, can close. It is like the Lord says, now as a result of your receiving me, I will open up unto you, windows of heaven, doors of blessings. Blessings that you would have never imagined will be yours because your thought processes were too limited. You couldn't think deep enough or far enough to see what I had in mind for your life. He said, but when you finally stop running, and you surrender to the Lord. The Lord says, now this is why. This is what I was up to all the while. You thought it was a set back, but it was really a set up. Yeah. All the while, I was trying. I, I always give the story about the person that uh, was running. Every night they dream about running from the lion. You heard me tell this before, running from the lion. The lion was pursuing them. What do you dream about? That lion was coming at me. He's coming at me. And every time uh, he get close, I, I finally escaped. I got away from him. I got away from him. I got away from him again. Go to night, next night, same thing. Lion running. Running, running after him. He's running from the lion. So then the person said, well, next time the lion is running after you, why don't you turn around and ask him a question? What do you want? <laughs> so sure enough, this time, the dream, lines running after lines after He turned around, he said, he stopped. Instead of running, he stopped. He said, what do you want? He confronted the lion. And the lion says, I'm your courage. Every time I try to you, you keep running away from me. I was running after you to give you something. And not to take something away from you, but to give you something. And that's what God is saying. I'm pursuing you in order to give you something. And you were afraid that I was coming after you to take away. <laughs> Father, thank you. I just quit. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love, your mercy. 
And we say, here we are, Lord. We give ourselves to you. We yield ourselves completely to you. And during this season, when we are thanking you for the gift of Christ, the gift that keeps on giving, doesn't realize how precious that gift really is. Not just the baby in the manger. That's a part of it. But the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who died for the sins of the world. The lion, the lamb that became the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the one. The one Lord who is both gentle, but at the same time, firm, straightforward. Lord, may we see you not just in one aspect of your character, but may we see your character in its fullness. Not just the easy stuff, but also the things that challenge our walk and our lives. May we see you, Lord, for who you are and not who we'd like for you to be. So with this, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for helping us, not only that, leading us and then working through us. That's what you do. So Lord, those who are running still, I'm talking about those who are churched, that think that religion or being a member of a church was sufficient, or those that offer you excuses and you all knowing as if you don't know that those excuses they offer are invalid. For those that bring flimsy excuses to you, Lord, we pray that you will help them to see and realize that you're wiser than men. And those that rely on their own intellect, you're wiser than the wisest of men. That wisdom comes from you and you alone. That we'll stop, they'll stop their striving. And they'll come back to the place, I would say the stronghold. That place where they can find the rest that only you can offer us. We thank you for this now. We thank you that you still offer salvation because Christ has come and died for us and you raised him from the dead. So Lord, thank you. That's all we can say. Thank you for your gift. We give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.